Welcome to the prolific teaching ministry of Pastor Emmanuel Iren, lead pastor of Celebration Church International. It is his vision to partner with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Ready, set, grow. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you. It's always a privilege to gather with the saints, not just with the saints, but with innumerable company of angels. The general assembly of the church, Paul says, I bow my knees to the God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and on earth is named. Lord, we thank you for the privilege to be named amongst the saints. Saints above and saints on the earth. We thank you. Glory to your name. We love it here. We enjoy the fellowship. We enjoy you. You're like a fountain of living water. In your light we see lights. We have drunk of the river of your pleasure. Thank you Father. In Jesus mighty name we've prayed. Amen. God bless you. You may please be seated. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. One more time, how was your week? Candy George, how are you, my dear? Good to see you. Hallelujah. All right, so the theme of the service, you guessed it already, is Emmanuel. All right? It's Emmanuel and... Um, you know, <laughs> when you understand what Emmanuel means, you know that anyone... Who names their child Emmanuel very likely made the mistake. <laughs> or, <laughs> or the name is supposed to be an announcement of who they represent. No human being today can actually, in the true essence, be Emmanuel. And if you don't understand that, don't worry. That's why, that's why we're here. But the thing is, we're here to know God better. Can you tell the person by your side, say, I came to know God better. Say it again to someone else. Say, I came to know God better. You see, every relationship has stages. Usually there'll be a wooing stage where this guy suddenly begins to give you extra attention and he wants to help you with all your homework in school and he doesn't mind driving you and you're doing all those all things, you know. He lives on the mainland. He drives you all the way to work on the island. He comes back. Then he comes back and picks you and brings you back home. <laughs> you, you know, all those things that usually end when you get married. It's not meant to, but you, all those extra things. You see her off to her house. Then she will see you off to your house. And then you say, <laughs> Things you do when you're not really paying bills, no school fees. <laughs> and then you're exchanging a lot of favors, maybe a lot of gifts. And you eventually ask her out. But then there is an important phase, the commitment phase. You see, guys, when a lady begins to ask you a lot of questions, it means she's thinking about it. She's thinking about it. Where do you work? What's your family like? How many siblings do you have? If she begins to ask questions like that, you know, she's curious. 
about the details of your life, it means she's really thinking about it. She's thinking about spending the rest of her life with you. It's a huge red flag when the person that you're trying to get committed to doesn't want to share information. Just imagine after you've, I mean, had the lady as an acquaintance after a full month, you now ask her, so what's your name? Oh my God, you'll be shocked these days, you know. And she's just like, why do you want to know my name? Just call me Sally. Ha! Red flag. She belongs in the street. <laughs> because if you are serious with someone, they're going to reveal the details of your life. That's just how it works. Praise the Lord. And just jokingly, seriously, the people who say, just call me Sally, they are the ones that when you want to do transfer, you now see their real name. Orovo, Rivo, Organete. I'm just saying. Just saying. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I don't know why someone is laughing so hard. That just might be his middle name. <laughs> I said that to say this. I've noticed that every time we have miracle services in this church, there's a lot of people. No problem with that. Listen, I cannot trivialize the struggles that people go through. Sometimes, when I hear the testimonies, maybe of people healed, as I'm driving back home, you know, I'm crying. Something happened in school. I had a miracle service. When I got back to my room, as I was removing my shoes, this is the first time I'm saying this, I heard the Lord say, thank you. My brain almost exploded. You know, so you could tell that God had been looking for a man that he could use to touch people. So miracle services are very important. But then... You must come to a point where you want to know who God is. You see, miracles are like the wooing stage. God is trying to get you to be committed. He's trying to show you, I love you, I'm committed to you. But it, it, listen, it must come to a new stage. Where you want to say, who is God? Who are you, Lord? And so services... Where theology, proper theology is done. Like we're studying Emmanuel. You know, that should arouse your curiosity also. You must want to know who God is. You must buy books about God. Listen to sermons about God. Thank God for all that he gives, but you want to know who he is. That's, that's important. And if you have not gotten to that stage in your work with God yet, I want to beg you. It's about time. It's about time. So one more time, like we said, we came to know God better. Last week, we discussed the deity of Christ, and Pastor T preached good. Wow. My God. If you were blessed, say who will now. <laughs> and we talked the deity of Christ, essentially, you know, that Jesus is God. Just for a recap, look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 again, one of the most profound texts you know, emphasizing the deity 
of Christ. He says, and without controversy, as if he knew that there will be debates about it and some people will try to talk down on this truth, this beautiful, glorious truth. He says, this is, this is beyond controversy. This is, this is not even subject to conversation. What do you mean? Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. This is so powerful. This is life-changing. This is without controversy. Jesus is God. That man you saw manifest in the flesh was God manifest in the flesh. I've unpacked this before. This is so beautiful. Listen, God who dwelt in an unapproachable light was manifest to humanity. And even the angels in the throne room of God, the cherubims, the seraphims, the Bible tells us that they have six wings. The first two to cover their face, the next two to fly, and then the last two to cover their wings. Because you see, the glory that emanates from, from, from the throne of God is so devastating. The thrice holy God, they dare not look. And all they say for all of eternity is holy, holy. Holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. So listen, imagine that from the creation of the, of the angels, they are right before the presence of God, but they've never seen God. They dare not look. So the incarnation was the first opportunity for even angels to at least put a face to it. It's a scene of angels. He was seen of angels. It wasn't just the revelation of God to man, it was the revelation of God to angels. Not in-depth, salvific revelation. You get what I mean? The first time I saw the importance, you know, to dwell on topics like this. Some of you might have heard the story before. I went out shopping with my wife. This was about seven years ago. We just got married. And I stopped by a shop. She said, don't worry, I'll just pick something and join you in the car. So she went down. But she came back a few seconds after without what she went to buy. And she said, something is happening in that shop. You need to come and see what's happening. What had happened? So these guys came to evangelize. And unfortunately, evangelism in today's church has been reduced to what God can give you. God's going to make you rich. God's going to heal your body. And so literally... That's what the flyer said. Come to our church. God is going to make you rich. Come to our church. God is going to give you money, you know, and all of that. Because Jesus is faithful and all those things. Now, little did they know that that little sales girl in that shop, without a proper education, secular education, had a proper, quote-unquote, theological education, under the umbrella of the false doctrine called Jehovah's Witness. Say what you want about that denomination. One thing you can't accuse them of is not taking discipleship seriously. An average Jehovah's Witness knows the Bible. Their Bible, if you know. <laughs> Have you encountered them before? Just so you know how serious their evangelical model is, 
If you have been evangelized to by a Jehovah's Witness member, raise your hand. Just look at this hall. That's almost everybody. And it seems like the charismatic people have dwelt on the peripherals. And the people we accuse of, of preaching false doctrine have been very strong on doctrine. Teaching what they believe. So listen, that sales girl said, who is Jesus? I will prove to you with this Bible you're holding that Jesus is not God. <laughs> oh my God. And the knees of this evangelist started buckling. They, they don't they evangelize evangelists too. By the time I got in, one of them was already saying, she has a point. I gave him look like if I deck you. <laughs> you don't know anything. So, honestly, I didn't even know as much as I do now. But just some common sense texts, like the text I learned, I think, in nursery too. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. You know, verse 14, and the word became flesh, dwelt amongst us, meaning God became a man. And I asked her a simple question. In the temptation of Jesus, when the devil said, jump from the pinnacle of the temple, for he, it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you. What did he reply? He said, it is also written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord your God. I asked her, who was being tempted? Some of you are slow this morning. <laughs> who was being tempted? And he said, thou shalt not tempt the Lord your God. So I, I just brought some texts. And those young men, you know, were looking at me like some savior God sent. They started to interview me. What church do you attend? Wow, that was very good. Thank you, brother. <laughs> and that increased my for teaching proper theology, making it popular in the church of Jesus Christ. Isn't it funny that you can have a mega church where people don't even know who they are worshipping? That must change. You must desire to know God better. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, which means not only is he God, he's also a man. He became a man. Come on, are you getting what I'm saying? Theologians call it the hypostatic union. That Christ is both God and man in hypostasis. That's what it's called, the hypostatic union. And whether you want to get all those theology names or not, just understand the concept. He's both God and man. He had always been God. One day, about 2,000 years ago, he became a man. And both truths are very important. And that's what I'm here to establish. You know, just imagine you were reading 1 Timothy as a layman. And you get to chapter 2, verse 5. You know what chapter 2, verse 5 says? It says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Oh, you say, oh, so Jesus is a man. Then you get to chapter 3, verse 16, and it says, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. And you're just like, is Jesus God or man? This is where 
the proper skill of Bible interpretation is needed. The principle of corroboration, the fact that for every major doctrine, you must consider what the entire Bible has to say about it. You can't run up with one verse. So to know who Jesus is, you must reconcile what 1 Timothy 2.5 and 1 Timothy 3.16 says. It's called corroboration. That's why the Bible says all scripture is given by inspiration of God, meaning all scripture must be in view to get doctrine. You don't get doctrine from one verse. Come on, are you with me? And then it will help you to know who you're talking about. She's talking about God. So don't be surprised if what you find out about God is surprising to your logic. It confounds your understanding of mathematics. How can God be one and yet three? Well, if it makes sense to you, you should understand that the God who created mathematics should not be bound by it. The God who created logic should not be bound by it. What, how dare you think that God cannot be God and man at the same time? Well, he is. So when you're trying to understand God, your priority should first and foremost be, what does the Bible say? Not does it make sense. <laughs> if you study God, and what you studied makes sense. <laughs> Who you studied is a figment of your imagination. A creation of your own imagination. You know, in Matthew chapter 22, something was happening, very interesting from verse 1. Different religious sects came to tempt Jesus one after the other asking him tough questions, and he will answer them one after the other. The Pharisees came, did theirs. The Sadducees came, did theirs. You know, and they were taking turns. And then it was Jesus' turn to ask a question. Look at Matthew chapter 22, verse 40, 41. I will tell you why this text is very important later. The Bible says, so while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, what do you think about the Christ? Meaning from the scripture, from biblical prophecies about the Christ, who do you think Christ is? Whose son is he? So they thought that Jesus was asking a genealogical question, like about the genealogy, about the Messiah. And they said, oh, the son of David. Then he said, how then does David in the spirit call him Lord? Saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. How many of you know that text? Psalm 110, I believe. Just think about it. So he's saying, the Lord said unto my Lord. And that might not stand out to you because, you know, we have a modern contemporary perspective of what it means to be Lord. You are thinking Lord Lugard. But let me help you understand. The Old Testament's name, Yahweh and Adonai, was transliterated to Lord in the New Testament. So when Jesus is called Lord, you are saying that that Yahweh in the Old Testament is manifest as Kyrios, not Kairos. K-Y-R-I-O-S. Lord in the New Testament. 
That's very huge. And so when David, who wasn't just an instrumentalist or a warrior or a king, was also a prophet, says, the Lord said to my Lord. He's talking about something powerful. The fact that even though God is one, he has three persons. He's talking about the second person in the Godhead. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies my footstool. And that's powerful. So he asked them that. He said, how come David said so? And they had no answer. The Bible says they stopped asking him any question from that point. <laughs> Did you see that? In verse 46, the Bible says no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day on did anyone dare question him anymore. Because even though the Messiah, the Christ, was going to be David's son, he was also the Lord. Come on, I said he was also the Lord. And he is also the Lord. Say loud amen if you believe. First Timothy chapter 2 verse 5, which we read, says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Can you say the man Christ Jesus? <laughs> mediator between God and man. And this is so beautiful. This is what makes the theology so special. Listen, why did we have to have a Messiah, a Christ, who has a hypostatic union? Because he's our high priest. You see, the priest in the Old Testament represented the people before God and God before the people. That's who a high priest is. That's what priesthood is. And so now, it makes sense, excuse that expression, that the mediator between God and man is both God and man. Representing God to man and representing man to God. That's who he is. The man, Christ Jesus. And this is what makes Christianity more special than any other false theology you see out there. Look at, look at this text. This is beautiful. Look at Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15. This is going to blow you away. This is going to bless you. You might have heard this text before, but I mean, I want you to see it in new light. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15. Come on, are you there? It says, for we have not a high priest that cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Oh, dear Jesus. But was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Everybody read Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 together. One, two, go. I want to give a story that might seem unrelated, but you will see the connection soon. You know, at the early stages of this ministry, there was nothing I didn't do. I helped with set up. I cleaned the chairs. As time went on, I had the opportunity and the privilege to just stick to what was my core assignment. As God expanded us and people so graciously helped. You know, helps is a very powerful ministry. So many times, I'll finish preaching and I just go up to the lounge I come and I see a beautiful setup. I, I think I understand the extent of the work that is put into it, but I don't really understand the true extent. So one day, I was to have a meeting with someone in the church, so I stayed back. 
and I saw the work that these people do. And I was almost in tears. I had to calm down when I say, you know, uh, guys, is this what you do every weekend? We're trusting for our own place and we're going to get our own place soon. But yeah, but like you have to set up and tear down and do this much work. I, I had to gather them together. I said, stop, stop, stop. I, I just want to thank you from my heart. Because you see, sometimes you can be a boss and people are working for you. And when they don't miss, meet targets, you are just shouting, ah, listen, you should have done this. You, you don't know how much work they are putting in. I said that to say this. You see, the God in other religions must be very arrogant. Don't fall into temptation. Don't lie. Don't steal. Well, easy for you to say. You don't know what it's like. You are spirit. Have you ever been tempted before? You don't know what it's like. I know you are God, but this is one thing you don't know. The God in other religions has to be very arrogant. Do this. Don't do this. Don't. You don't know what it's like. You've never felt it before. You don't understand. Let me tell you something. Empathy is more powerful when you've stood in the shoes of the people. Everybody claims to understand. You know, in our generation, if you are going through something, everybody says, I understand. No, you don't. I know you're trying to be nice. I know you're trying to console me, but you don't understand. But the God of the Bible... Oh my God, are you listening to me? He said, we don't have a high priest that is not touched with the feelings of our infirmity. Because God became a man. You see, in every other religion, they, they subscribe to the transcendent nature of God. And what do we mean by the transcendent nature of God? That if there is really a God and there is, he must be infinitely higher than man. Too big to be concerned about man. Some people say, you know, like God is transcendent, so big. Listen, let me give you an instance. Every time you're talking to a toddler, it's always cute, right? And you have to step down your communication for the toddler to relate. How much more God with man? Do you understand what I'm saying? If God were to have a conversation with man, what will he talk about? How will the communication be? How will man understand? How will God feel what we feel? You see, but the God of the Bible, the Bible says God was manifest in the flesh. That's the God of the Bible. He stepped out of his throne, clothed in human frailty, the Bible says was obedient unto death. You don't have a high priest that is not touched with the feeling of your infirmity. That also gives us one chance. Now we can't complain. Imagine crying to God that your friend betrayed you. Jesus. <laughs> Imagine trying to say, man, they betrayed me. Really? Tell me about it. <laughs> This guy said he will help me. When the time came, he denied me. Tell me about it. The humanity of Jesus is so special. Listen, we talk about the deity of Christ. And it's so important, but it's humanity. 
There is almost no Christian doctrine that reveals the love of God like the humanity of Christ. Like that song we sang earlier, he walked where I walk. He stood where I stand. He felt what I feel. He understands. And so when you study the Bible, you see that this Jesus, though he was God, was truly a man. He didn't jump from heaven. He was born of a woman. Think about that. He had to grow in knowledge and in understanding and in wisdom. He had to grow in strength. Praise the Lord. He had a normal childhood. When they gave back to him, instead of crying, you would have expected to go, <laughs> No, he did not. And do you realize, he was even submitted to his parents. By the age of 12, he already had some strange understanding. I think he even shaded Joseph, one of the biggest shades. Because at the age of 12, they were looking for him and he was in the temple. <laughs> and when they saw him, Joseph said, where have you been? We've been looking for you. And he said, you should have known I'll be about my father's business. <laughs> Meaning, Joseph, you're not my daddy. <laughs> ah, why? Joseph would have been, you didn't have to go that far. <laughs> you know, you didn't, don't rub it in. <laughs> I was about my father's business. Hey, God. Was Joseph ever tempted to knock Jesus? <laughs> and flog him. <laughs> you would have flogged him. Ha! Get in mind, though. <laughs> then now imagine the table switch. Judgment seats. <laughs> you just say, play that video of the knock. Play it. Put it in slow motion. You won't allow me to finish. You will just start going. Say, Satan, show me the way. You're just playing. Just, just playing. Hallelujah. But Jesus didn't have unlimited physical strength. He had the same physical limitations as other human beings. He was hungry when he fasted. Amen. Amen. I don't know why some people are surprised when they are fasting and they are hungry. I don't. Listen. There is no grace for fasting. No grace. There was grace. Jesus would have had it. He fasted and he was hungry. All right? You can explain there are special instances, you know, just like Jesus and Moses. But generally speaking, <laughs> if you are fasting, you will feel it. Are you with me? He was tired. He was hungry. He was thirsty. Listen, for the temptation of the devil to have been legitimate, he must have been truly hungry. It wouldn't have been a temptation to turn stone to bread if he wasn't truly hungry. He was hungry. And on the cross, he said, I thirst. He was thirsty. He was truly a man. He suffered fatigue when he traveled. You know, initially, I used to feel a little bad, you know, that I'm a deep sleeper. Because I walk hard and I crush hard. Amen. Glory be to God. <laughs> but when I read about Jesus in a boat, not a ship, but a boat. Do you know what it means for a boat to be sinking? It means water from outside was... That means very likely the water was touching him 
He didn't wake up. <laughs> Do you know what it means for your disciples after seeing you perform miracles to be angry that they woke him up? Do you not care that we perish? That's what they said. They must have been annoyed. That, which kind of sleep be this? <laughs> so from that day, all the conscience died. He gives his beloved spiritual people they sleep. You know what you know? If you're not a deep sleeper, there's a depth in God you have not touched. <laughs> I'm telling you, I, I, act, I act on the word even when I'm sleeping. I'm his beloved, I must sleep. <laughs> Praise the name of the Lord. So what are the implications of the humanity of Christ? Number one, he's our example for endurance. He's our example for what? You know, I've told you this before. Listen, the faith that get, gets us saved is also something to emulate. And Christ is not just a message to believe, but an example to emulate. So when John 3.16, the Bible says, God told of the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is the fabric of, our, of the context of our theology for salvation. So in that, you see something to believe to be saved. But in that, you also see an example. So in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, you see the same doctrine, but a different point. He's not telling you what to do to be saved. He's teaching on humility. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus who though in his very essence was God, did not consider equality with God something to be held on to. He humbled himself. It was humility. Took on the form of a servant. He was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. That's, that's a teaching on humility. Not just a teaching on salvation. Come on, are you with me? In Christ we see not just a message to believe, but an example to emulate. Our example of endurance. And so in Hebrews chapter 12, from verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let's run with endurance the, the race set before us. Looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. This is so powerful. He says, who for the joy that was set before him. Now, he's our example. So he's telling you, for the joy that was set before him, he despised the shame, endured the cross, and he sat down at the right hand of God. In the humanity of Jesus, we see our example. Do you know how hard it is to endure false witness? There are a few things that pain more than that. When people lie against you, have they lied against you before? <laughs> it's like it's only few people that have experienced that. Eh? And then you know what is even more painful? You don't get the opportunity for self-vindication. Just imagine Jesus before Pilate. If he defended himself, he would go free. But that was not part of the plan. So he had to stay and wait 
and watch them say all sorts of things. Listen, listen, listen. That's why the writer of Hebrews tells you, he says you have not even resisted unto blood in your fight against sin. Small, they just commented on your Instagram, you, you are not sleeping. He said, that's small. He said, look unto Jesus. What, what are you going through? What have you really experienced? Praise the name of Jesus. We don't have a high priest that is not touched with the feelings of our infirmity. He was at all point tempted just as we are. Say loud amen, somebody. Come on, say loud amen, somebody. They abused him. They spat on him. Just imagine that it was some of us. You might have played along at the beginning. You know, I say this jokingly seriously. That maybe this first soldier slaps you. You say, hmm. <laughs> The second one slaps you. <laughs> they put crown of thorns. You say, oh, okay. Mind you, at the snap of your finger, they can turn to sugar or anything creative. Since you've done salt before. <laughs> if you've done salt before, you might want to try sugar. Just... <laughs> a taste of your own medicine. <laughs> you know, and you endure that. Do you know what it means to have unlimited power and self-control? Do you know how difficult it is to act human when you are God? That you can turn stone to bread. <laughs> oh my God. You know you. Fasting is easy because you just stay away from the kitchen. <laughs> You're not getting me. <laughs> Fasting is easy because you can stay away from the kitchen. But when you are the son of God, everything is food. <laughs> everything is water can turn to wine. Can you imagine? Not bottled water. It was waste water for cleaning hands. You can turn that to wine. Some of you will forget your divine assignment. You will start a business. <laughs> Living Wine International. <laughs> yeah, and sons. <laughs> the slogan will be Shade in Wine Mini. You know? Hey, you, you, you get it. Yeah, yeah you understand. <laughs> Preach you. I, I, I did try. Okay. <laughs> All right, let's get serious. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But listen, that's so important. So in him, we see a worthy example. Listen. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. This is so important. I know we might be joking here and there, but this is, look, at, look at 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 from verse 21. This is instructive. Some of you right now need what I'm saying. He says, for to this you were called. This is your calling. <laughs> Maybe you didn't know. For to this you were called. Because Christ also suffered for us. Leaving us what? Come on, leaving us what? Say it again. Leaving us what? An example that we should follow in his steps. You know, you like to follow in his steps in the good part. The charismatic stuff. Oh, he healed the sick, I can heal the sick. 
He raised the dead, I can raise the dead. Now the Bible says he suffered. <laughs> you must be willing to take it also. When people say bad things about you, listen, there is this type of fragile brand of Christianity that we have today that is surprising. That's why we need to teach the word. Why are you surprised that they don't like you? You ought to be worried if the world likes you so much. If some of us were Jesus, we would never be killed. Because everybody will be your friends. The politicians will be your friends. Everybody will be your friends. And I'm not asking you to be intentionally controversial. I'm asking you to stand with the word of God. Come on, are you listening to me? Stand with the word of God. Have a spine for God's sake. He says, to this you were called. This part of your calling. Haven't you read the memo? Haven't you read it? When people say all sorts of things against you, he said, blessed are you. He says, that's how they persecuted those before you. Blessed are you. It's, it's an occasion for rejoicing. This is a training in the word of God. He says, for this is your calling, because as Christ also suffered, he left us an example that we should follow in his steps. Verse 22, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, did not revile in return. Social media age. <laughs> you don't always have to clap back. You don't always have to say your own. Self-vindication is one of the most powerful temptations in this generation. You want to have the last word. That's, that's flesh. Hallelujah. That someone abused you. A brand of, you know, of life where we just feel we must get back. No matter where, no matter the occasion. If someone stands on stage and says something, you just walk up to him and... For example, for example, it says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Amen, somebody. Amen. Come on, I said, Amen, someone. Amen. First Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trials, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. Peter is saying, Why are you surprised? And why are you running? Why do you think it's strange? You know, some people think, oh, I wasn't praying enough. Some even ask God, God, why are you doing this to me? He says, don't think it's strange. He says, but rejoice. To the extent that you partake of Christ's suffering. He says, rejoice. You partake of Christ's suffering. Do you know how blessed it is? That as you are going about your ministerial assignments, people say all kinds of terrible things about you. Oh my God. If you seek self-indication, you have your reward. Take it. <laughs> Take it. Hallelujah. And just move on. Soldier on. Power through it. Praise the name of Jesus. You know that at the end of the day, it is God who has your marking scheme. You might not be able to explain to everybody. Listen, I've pastored enough to know that even if you have a track record of faithfulness for 20 years, people will still believe what they want to believe. <laughs> Are you listening to what I'm saying? 
So at the end of the day, as you try to be as transparent as possible, understand that God has your marking scheme. And you will give account to him. And that should be your utmost priority. As long as I'm pleasing God, is okay. Some of you would need what I'm saying. Are you listening to me? He says, don't think it's strange. As if something strange has happened to you. In him, we have an example. And finally, in him, we have a worthy substitute. In him, we have what? Come on, I said, in him, we have what? Oh, glory to God. Look at Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. This is Bible study, so you have to follow through with this. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. It says, in so much then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same. In layman language, if you are going to be a substitute for a man, you must be a man. Did you hear what I said? If you are going to be propitiation for the sins of man, you must be a man. And this is this is the, the, the wisdom of the hypostatic union. Only God can save, but only man can be a substitute. Did you hear what I said? Only God can save. Salvation, the Bible says, is of the Lord. But at the same time, for you to be a substitute, you have to be man. So he says, in so much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he himself shared in the same. He says that through death, he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. Say loud, amen, if you believe. Amen. And release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like the brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered, been tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Oh, glory to God. Glory to God. Sister Wine, I said, don't think for a moment that he never felt the pain. There is something about the general perspective of the redemptive work that minimizes the extent of the work. Because you just think, guys, ah, Jesus, he could take it. He was fully man. When they whipped him, he felt it. And you, hear, you know the funny thing? Pilate knew he was innocent. Pilate wanted them to set him free. So he increased the flogging. He thought that when they flogged him more, people would say, eh, well, he has, I mean, has he not been beaten? Let's let him go. But it backfired. After the flogging, in fact, historically, many people didn't survive the flogging. Historically. We're not talking about the one in your secondary school. Turn your back, turn your back. Twa, twa. <laughs> It's called scourging. The whips had spikes at, at, you know, attached to it. Then they had tiny dumbbells. So the dumbbells, all right, when they hit your flesh, they'll make the flesh softer so that the spikes can bring out the blood easily. Historians, when they watched Passion of the Christ, they said it was a gross underestimation of what really happened. That Passion of the Christ you couldn't watch. Don't you understand? The crucifixion was the experience from which the English word excruciating came. Listen, so 
The pain from the crucifixion was so grave, there was no English word to describe it. They had to coin a new one, excruciating from crucifixion. That seven-inch nails will be drive, driven through your wrists. Hands and foot. Spear thrust in your side. And then in the wake of all of that, you look at the people and say, Father, forgive them. See, you, you don't understand. You don't understand. They lied about you. You are finally had to forgive. <laughs> but in, it is his, I mean, nails, he's literally hanging by nails. And he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. They don't know any better. That's your Jesus. That's your example. Ha! My God. <laughs> That's your example. A worthy substitute. He was tempted at every point yet without sin. And he died your death. He had to be man to die your death. And so Isaiah says, surely he has borne our griefs. He says, the chastisement for your peace was upon him. He says, and by his stripes. Kampalatakapalandorokosote. Come on, anybody who believes in this Jesus here. He says, and by his stripes we are healed. Can you say that? By his stripes I'm healed. The Bible says he laid the iniquity of all of us on him. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have gone every man in his own way. And God has laid the iniquity of all of us on him. By his stripes. All the goodness and the mercy that we experience in Christ is on account of the suffering of someone else. He died my death. He paid the price. By his stripes I'm healed. And now Paul comes and tells us freely. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. We are beneficiaries of his sacrifice. Beneficiaries of his redemptive work. Come on, do you believe that? He says, in him you have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins. Are you aware that forgiveness in Christ does not come because you are sorry? It doesn't come because you cried. It came by blood. Someone died for you. And when you understand this, it's deeper than saying sorry. You will now understand that it is not just easy, you know, for you to be taken away from the kingdom like that. You know, the, you know, there are human inventions that we have. You know, I was preaching uh, two days ago in Benin. And I told them, I said, are you aware in the Bible there is no term like rededication? You don't get born again by dedicating your life. It's not children dedication. <laughs> you, do you understand? Do you know what it means to be a sinner, it means to be dead. You were dead in trespasses and sins. Even if you try to behave better, you are just a well-dressed corpse. You've gone to some burials and the, you know, the corpse is well-dressed. You know, just like last respect, nice suit and tie and everything. You know, that's just like behavioral modification, you know, that religion advocates for. It takes more than that. It says, you have he quickened, brought back to life. Who were dead in trespasses and sins. It's more than behavior. Paul 
called it the power of God unto salvation. We're talking about power. To raise the dead back to life, that's power. To give a human being eternal life, to live forever without getting old, without dying, that's power, not behavior. You can't behave yourself into salvation. What did God do? The Bible says sacrifices and offerings you will not have, but a body you have prepared for me. God found himself a substitute. He found himself a lamb. And all your sins were placed on him. All the mistakes of your past. All those terrible things that you remember once in a while and you're ashamed of. He placed them all on Jesus. And Jesus died for your sins. He is your substitute. You are my grace. You are my mercy. You are, you are my ransom. He is your grace. He is your mercy. He is, he is your ransom. Do you believe that? Stand to your feet. We sing this three times and we're out of here. Lift your hands and say, You are my mercy. Say, You are. You are. You are. You are. My ransom. Sing it one more time. Say, You are. You are my grace. You are my mercy. You are my mercy. Oh, thank you, Lord. You are, you are, you are, you are my ransom. My One more time. You are my grace. You are my mercy. Say you are. You are my ransom. One more time without the music. Say. You are my grace. Sing it to heaven, say. You are. You are. My ransom. Thank you, Father. The Bible says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. It says, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. We thank you, Father. Thank you for listening. We are sure that you have been blessed. For inquiries, reach us on our helpline 0809-996-7000. Blessings.